Welcome to the Farcast. Over 200 episodes and still going strong, bringing you experts and insiders to help you navigate the investing landscape. Now, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. Even if it's an abbreviated Farcast this week, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today is April the 1st. Happy April Fool's Day. Happy first day of the second quarter, 2022. And boy, are we not uh, too unhappy to see the first quarter in the rearview mirror here. Uh, Quickly, a uh, quick uh, producer's note. We had a fabulous panel lined up, a wonderful recording that in the world of technology for the first time in five years, completely got destroyed in technology. So I'm coming to make sure that we have a forecast for you this week. It's going to be a brief one just with me. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, the guests were fabulous. The insights were really good. Things got a little heated. Uh, and apparently the internet and uh, World Wide Web just couldn't handle it. So much for that. As I look back on the first quarter, and that's what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you the first quarter. I'm going to talk about the yield inversion. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about payroll numbers that have come out, what we're seeing in real estate, what we're seeing in oil, this release of the strategic petroleum reserve, what does that mean, and where I think investors should be thinking uh, about their investments, what they should be thinking about their investments as we go into the second quarter. Also, to give you a little bit of history, uh, one of the things that fellows with white hair can do is tell you about market history. So as we look back on this first quarter, we had a great January, uh, just a fabulous January um, until uh, January 4th, that is. Uh, uh, January up until January 4th was terrific. The S&P notched its all-time high of 48.04, and uh, it was just, uh, it was, it was, it was fabulous. And then, of course, as the S&P did that, the Fed's balance sheet got over $9 trillion. And then everything went sideways and down by January the 24th, just 13 trading days later, the S&P had fallen 12%, 12%, while the NASDAQ lost 17%. Now, let's fast forward to the end of the quarter, and most of this occurred in the month of March. The NASDAQ closed down about 7%, the S&P closed down about 4%. So you saw a... 8% uh, or so rebound in the S&P and a full 10% rebound in the NASDAQ, 10 percentage point rebound in the NASDAQ. These are huge swings to the upside, huge swings to the upside. Based on what, folks, are these huge swings? That they went down too much or that the economy's improving or that earnings are improving or everything is so rosy? Remember that market prices anticipatorily. We look for the future. That's what we're pricing for, the future. Uh, I think a lot of this is a lot of short-term volatility uh, that will get sorted out over the long term, always get sorted out over the long term. And this is one of those times where I'm going to encourage you to remember that time and not timing is how you make money in the stock market. So this volatility has people a bit whipsawed. And the headlines, uh, of course, from Ukraine, also the US, uh, Supreme Court nominations, 
new tax on rich people proposals. Uh, all of these things create a lot of noise. The rule in the fish market is ignore the yelling and screaming and pay attention to the price of fish. That's what we do at Hightower Advisors. That's what we do at Farm Miller in Washington. We pay attention to the price of fish. As we look at the economy now, we know that the Federal Reserve is in a tightening phase. They've tightened once. And not a full week after they tighten, Jay Powell comes out and says, maybe we have to do half a point hikes. It was like five days later. He said half a point hikes. After five days before, he said quarter of a point hikes. What happened in those five days, Mr. Chairman? I, I just like to know what new data you got that, that, that gave you the whoops that quickly where you had to say, maybe we need to do more. Maybe we need to do more. I mean, it sounded like an alarm bell ringing and it didn't sound like one of those, you know, uh, data dependent um, kind of Jay Powell uh, things, uh, you know, uh, non-emotional uh, things that you typically say. Caught my attention because it sounded different. As we look at those things economic, we know that unemployment now at the end of the first quarter is down to 3.6%, 3.6% unemployment rate. This is almost beyond full employment. We are at maximum employment. Maximum employment is a term that's used by economists and the Federal Reserve. Remember that the Federal Reserve has two mandates, a dual mandate. One is price stability. How are they doing with that one? And the other is full employment. Well, cheers to you, you got 50-50. 50%, as I go back to um, uh, my uh, good, wonderful friends at the Jesuit High School, Gonzaga College High School in Washington, D.C., 50% was not passing at Gonzaga, and I'm going to suggest that it's not at the Federal Reserve either. Non-farm payrolls grew. 431,000, well below estimates, well below estimates, but 431,000 jobs in March. In March, uh, the estimate was 490,000 um, and, and well below, you know, Feb February's upwardly revised 750,000. But how about that? We added, the U.S. added 1.7 million jobs in the first quarter. 1.7 million jobs in the first quarter. And there are still plenty of jobs open but we've got 3.6% unemployment rate. So if you have all of these jobs that are open, employers wanting to hire, even though a lot of these were the hospitality uh, industry, uh, leisure uh, led those gains in jobs, you still don't have a pool of job applicants. So what do you have to do? You have to pay more to get the people you want. You're gonna lure them from other jobs. They're not coming off of the benches anymore. They're not coming off the bench. You don't have players in reserve, so you've got to go buy somebody else's players. Um, I'm using sports analogies, folks. We've got the final four this, this weekend. Uh, it should be a very exciting Saturday, and then Monday's game, fabulous, too. Okay, so here we are. Uh, we have inflation that's moving ahead quickly. We're seeing gasoline in many places over the, around the country over $5 a gallon. The president has authorized a $180 million, a million barrel release from the strategic oil petroleum reserves, strategic petroleum reserves. That's a big deal when, when the president does that. Um, he's authorized to do that actually not too often, really. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's a bit weird uh, when, when the president does that. Um, and, and let me just tell you that, that it, here's the statutory language. 
the severe energy supply interruption, that's when he can do that, means that the national energy supply shortage, uh, which the president determines is likely to be of significant scope or duration and of an emergency nature. It may cause adverse impact on national safety and national economy. The result is likely um, uh, to result in an interruption of supply from imported petroleum, an interruption in the supply of domestic petroleum, uh, a sabotage or an act of God. So uh, the president's using some license here in interpreting the current situation of these inflationary prices. Um, it, it, there's oil out there, it's just a price thing. Now, they are looking in Europe now for gas rationing and fuel rationing. We'll see if they, if they get there with this shortage. With this, uh, it's about 5% of what we use per day in the US. It's about 5% of what we use every day in the US. So will it help? Uh, yes, it will help. Can the president really do anything much about this kind of inflation? No, not so much. We'll see what happens in exploration. And uh, as Senator Joe Manchin, uh, the most powerful man in Washington, says, uh, we're going to explore all types of energy production. I think this is a real blow to the environmentalists because uh, here, uh, we're, we're making a vote for the economy and making sure uh, that the average American uh, can afford to drive their car, get around. We use petroleum and everything, folks, whether it's the manufacturing of plastic or automobiles or everything else, lots and lots of petroleum, and we don't know how to get away from the stuff. We're not prepared to do that yet. So we'll watch all of, we're watching all of this. Now, I'm going to hearken you back to 2008. In 2008, at the end of the first quarter, March 31st, oil traded at $100 a barrel. It was a shocking number in 2008. Doesn't seem so much now, does it? 2008, oil was $100 a barrel, March 31st. By June 24th, it went to $147.5 a barrel, 147.5. We had a 47.5% increase in the price of a global commodity in 84 days. I have yet to understand how a global commodity can move 47.5%. Which one of those prices was wrong? Was it not worth $100 a barrel 84 days before? Or was it, I mean, one, something in there was wrong. Well, the 147.5 turned out to be wrong. Oil came back down steadily from there. But as oil hit 147.5, Goldman Sachs and other analysts assured everyone it was going it was going to $200 a barrel, at least, at least. Now, something else happened in 2008 that we all like to have forgotten, but on March 17th, which was a Sunday, it was a weekend, the Federal Reserve announced that they had saved us from a financial crisis because they had saved Bear Stearns. Bear Stearns was an extremist and they came at extremist, meaning near death. That's what that means, extremist. Uh, near death, and the Fed came out and bailed them, bailed them out and put them on the lifeline. Many Fed governors have talked to me since and said that that was their first real mistake in the financial crisis. What happened next? What happened next was in the second quarter of 2008, bank stocks rallied, financial stocks rallied because the Fed was there and had their back. The concern was prior to that was a deterioration um, in these subprime loans. We were first learning about subprime loans 
subprime credits that had that had kind of gone crazy. You might remember back into 2007, there was a real estate speculative bubble. Real estate had gone nuts, right? Uh, there were no doc loans and people were buying two and three and four houses without documenting their income to pay those mortgages, hoping that they could flip the house and sell it before they had to actually service the mortgage. It was a crazy time and no doc loans were out there. So you need two things for a bubble. And I don't think we have a real estate bubble now, in spite of what the Federal Reserve of Dallas has said in their report. You need speculation, number one, and you need a deterioration in lending standards, a deterioration in lending standards. You need to see those two things. And we're not seeing those two things now. I believe that this current run in real estate prices is being driven by supply and demand. And there's just no supply. The issue here is no supply. Uh, there is demand. Consumer balance sheets are still strong in an inflationary environment. Folks are looking to buy some hard assets. Um, and there, we had underbuilt after the great financial crisis. And, and in recent years, we have underbuilt in this country. So uh, I, don't, I don't feel like that's a big bubble ready to collapse. I could certainly be wrong about that. What's the point, Far? Well, the point is that these higher oil prices, in Far's opinion, are not going away. The higher real estate prices are not going away. The employment shortage is not going away. Neither are the uh, higher wages. And those higher wages eat into profit margins. Shelter costs and rents are going up. And shelter costs, we know, follow real estate prices by about 12 months, and they're jumping big time around the country. So uh, when you look at the average middle-class American consumer, they're facing higher prices at the grocery store, at the gas pump, uh, and, uh, and in their rents. And they, they don't have discretionary dollars. They can't drive a lot. This is called demand destruction demand destruction. All of those consumers who would be out there spending money and thinking about their next uh, you know, uh, SUV, those prices are soaring too, or uh, their next jet ski for summer or boat or anything else, aren't thinking about that anymore. They're thinking about circling the wagons and how they're going to have enough money to make that rent check and continue to pay these bills. By the way, electricity costs are going to go up too, significantly over the summer. So we're, we're getting into this period where uh, we still have a tough time to go through. People seem to want to declare it over. Markets rallied back 5% in the last month. And isn't it great? And, and things seem to be fine, don't they, Michael? Yes, they seem to be fine. But the Fed has raised once, and they're going to raise six more times. And the cost of money is going significantly higher. The war in Eastern Europe is continuing disruptions in China. China has been the, was the growth engine of the world. You remember when we called China the growth engine of the world? Their GDP is falling. Xi Jinping shut down Taiwan. This was the big, huge commercial center. He's gone after the big tech companies that were hugely successful. He got rid of Jack Ma, one of the, I mean, the China's Jeff Bezos, basically, uh, a driver of huge capitalistic gains. And and a, and a support for their economy, for the Chinese economy that's now suffering. So uh, as we remember Sister Irene Krauss, uh, who ran a wonderful hospital system in uh, Rhode Island many years ago, 
who was who famously said at a board meeting to settle down a fight between the good nuns on the board and the business people on the board. Uh, the nuns wanted to expand the hospital's missions that and and spend money that the businessmen on the board said that they couldn't afford. And uh, Sister Krause said, "Sisters, you're exactly right. You're following your mission and your vows." Uh, but we've brought these business people here for a reason. And the bottom line here, sisters, is without a margin, we don't have a mission. No margin, no mission. No margin, no mission. President Xi, listen to Sister Irene. No margin, no mission. Vladimir Putin, listen to Sister Irene. No margin, no mission. In the United States, we continue to have positive GDP. And remember that the Fed is reacting to something that's very positive. We've had a lot of growth. We have a strong economy. It is slowing. Why is it slowing? Because it's 70% driven by the consumer and the consumer's facing a lot higher prices. And even though wages are going up, they're not going up as fast as the prices are going up. So consumers lose purchasing power. So there we go. And now when you look back at that housing market and you see interest rates going up and mortgage rates going up, there's going to be some buying pressure that evaporates in that housing market. Will it be enough to offset the shortage of supply? I don't think so for a while. I don't think so for a while. Sooner or later, yes, but not for a while. So as we get through the rest of the year, we see an inverted yield curve. That means that the Two-year treasuries are yielding a little bit more than the 10-year treasuries. That will seesaw back and forth as it always does when we go through these periods. I've seen a lot of them before in my career. You go up and you go down and the yield curve will come back into a normal curve and then it'll leave and get inverted again. That'll go on for months. It's typically about two years before you go into recession. And recessions are normal too, folks. They happen. These are these big contractions. They're not fun. But um, I, I don't look for one until the second half of 2023. And boy, if you think that uh, timing the market is a fool's errand, try and time the economy. That's seriously a fool's errand. Just too many moving pieces and too many people have gone broke doing it. So uh, the, world's, uh, the, wor the world is not likely to end. If it does, we don't have anything to worry about. But could we have a tough time uh, here for the next year? Yes. Do I think that this rally is kind of a head fake uh, for the near term? Yes, I do. Uh, and yet after a cycle, tightening cycle begins, markets usually have positive returns for a while. I, I filled out Barron's big money poll uh, yesterday. I do see rates going higher. I do see the 10-year hitting a 3% uh, handle. Um, and I think that the uh, stock indices could close higher on the year, but I don't think it's going to be any great huge year, but I think probably higher on the year. You better know what you own and you better have some solid balance sheets, good company, good management and companies with cash flow, uh, something with an innovative, innovative advantage and a moat around those, a defensive moat around those businesses. Keep cool, turn down the television and the radio. Uh, they will drive you towards emotional decisions. If you learn one thing from far, it is that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. Emotion is your enemy. Stick to the numbers, stick to the data. Enjoy the springtime weather. Uh, keep exercising and keep doing all the wonderful things that you do with your family and friends. We'll get through what I think is going to come for the next year. If my caution is unwarranted, well, I'm more comfortable with that than ever putting any of you in a risky position. But folks, 
far as cautious and going to stay cautious. We'll have great guests for you next week. I promise, as we do every week on the Farcast, endeavor as best as we're able to cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world. In Naples, Florida, I'm Michael Farr. Thanks so much for listening. Please share us on your social media. Send us notes if we can help or cover anything you'd like. Jennings at farmiller.com. Jennings at farmiller.com. I'll see you next week, folks. Have a wonderful weekend. God bless. Thanks for being with us on this week's abbreviated edition of the Farcast. Join us in coming weeks as we bring you a great slate of guests, including regulars Jim Urio, Kenny Polcari, Dan Mahaffey, Jim Labenthal, and special guests from across the world of economics, politics, and finance. We love hearing from you every week, and we try to respond to all of your notes and suggestions. You can reach us at hjennings at farmmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. The Farcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers, employees, or agents of Hightower Advisors or Farm Miller in Washington, are not necessarily those of Hightower Advisors, Farm Miller in Washington, or any firm any of our guests may represent. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security index, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington. Please reach out to me at hjennings at farmmiller.com. We are here to help, and I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. Please share the podcast with friends and colleagues. We'll be back with you next week. Go be on the headlines each week with the podcast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Bar Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. All information referenced here is from sources believed to be reliable. Bar Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Hightower Advisors LLC, Bar Miller in Washington, or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Bar Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates assume no liability for action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and the materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Bar Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. 
This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax and or legal advisor for related questions.